You guys ready for this? We'll see. All right, let's pray for it. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Father, we pray that we would not leave here the same way that we came, but we would leave this place with a newfound love for you, for your grace, for your mercy. Father, change us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you that are just joining us for the first time, what we do here is we preach through the Bible. I know it might be surprising in a Christian church that people actually still use the Bible, but we do. We've been going through 1 Samuel uh, for many months, and now we're in 1 Samuel 18. Uh, We're continuing the story. David just killed Goliath, and here we go. 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he, ex- and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now what had happened is they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have only ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. It happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside of the house. So David played music with his hands, as at other times. But there was a spear in Saul's hand, and Saul cast the spear, for he had said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him captain over a thousand. He went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all of his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, whenever, excuse me, when Saul saw that he had behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before him. What's happening in this story? Well, uh, the promise that David was given was... If you kill Goliath, you get a wife, you get riches, you don't have to pay taxes. So David has just done this, and they're coming into this area, and uh, there's some dancing girls there, and they start singing and playing tambourines, and they're singing a song, and they're saying like, hey, David killed 10,000, but uh, Saul, eh, only about 1,000, and Saul doesn't like it at all. Saul's like, how is this, man? This guy is making me look bad. So what is he going to do? He's going to kill him. Uh, Because that's what you do when someone makes you look bad, is you just set out for death. (laughs) Uh, In this story, Saul is the king of Israel. Okay, David is the soon-to-be king of Israel. Uh, David has been uh, anointed as the future king of Israel, and so Saul is like out to get him. Uh, He's out to destroy him. And David is a man, and we've said this term many times, we've been kind of talking about David for a while. The Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. And so uh, when we look at the life of David, it's good for us to kind of look at him and say, okay, if God described David as a man after God's own heart, how can we live so that God could describe us and say, this is a person that has my heart as well. Now I will tell you that it is hard to live righteously for Jesus Christ. 
Dude, it is not easy and it is not for the faint of heart. And in this story, what we see is we see David living righteously and suffering at the hands of Saul. Saul wants to destroy him. And, and so what, what I want to encourage you with today is that uh, living for God is hard. And, and, and I want you to realize that when you sign up and you say, man, I want to be a Christian, I want to live for Jesus, that it is not going to be a very easy uh, uh, experience for you. And, and, and so today we want to talk about that, and, and the title of the sermon is How to Live Right. And, and this, is, this message is an encouragement for Christians. Now, if you're not a Christian, at the end of this sermon, I'm going to ask you whether you want to become one. But this, this type of living for God where other people aren't really going to like you for it is not like, hey, I'm a jerk and nobody likes me and that's why I'm having this hard life. I'm talking about living a righteous life for Jesus according to God's word and having people not like you. Right? 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's how, we supposed to, that's how we're supposed to live as Christians. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, 27, that we should not give place to the devil. Titus 2.12 says, teaching us denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Why have we lost this idea where Christians aren't supposed to live holy? Why have we become this type of people where people think like, well, you know, you just say you're a Christian and then you just go and live completely like everybody else lives. No, when you decide to live for Christ, you decide to live according to the Bible, the world is not going to agree with you. At every turn, you're going to find resistance. Satan and the world do not want you to live righteously. So then how do we live right? Number one, you've got to expect attack. You've just got to expect attack. Um, in the beginning of this scripture, in verse uh, 8, excuse me, we're going to jump into the middle and then we're going to get back. We're just going to be jumping around. That's what we're doing. So verse 8 and 9, it says, Then Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can be done? Excuse me, but now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Now, it was how David was living that began to anger Saul. And it's, it's very interesting, when you choose to live righteously for God, and there are other people that are saying they want to live righteously for God, but they're not actually living righteously for God, you now become a mirror to show them how they should be living, and it will make them very angry. So, so much so that, that Saul set out to kill David for the way in which he was living. David was righteous. David was, victor uh, David was victorious over Goliath. He, he lived an honorable life. And Saul, King Saul, could not stand it. So what does he do? He attacks him. He sets out to kill him. He wants to destroy him. And, and this is going to be a theme that's going to flow through these next chapters of 1 Samuel, where you're going to really see how David lives a life when he lives under constant attack. But, but here's, here's what sociopathic individuals do is they assert their dominance over other people that are trying to live righteously and, and, and like flip it on them where now all of a sudden you're the bad guy because you're living righteously even though I said I wanted to live righteously, I said I wanted to be a person that followed after Yahweh, but now that you're living in a way that I should be living and you're kind of showing me how I'm not living, I'm just going to kill you. That's, that's what I'm going to do. David was fully aware that living righteously comes at a price. One of the greatest, I mean, the, the whole thing's good, but Psalms is a really, really good book. 
It really is. And when you understand the context of David's life and how he tried to live righteously, how he uh, wanted to do things that honored God, and he came under attack by people that didn't want him to live that way, you begin to understand why he wrote the Psalms the way that he wrote the Psalms, right? I mean, Psalm uh, 54.3, for strangers have risen up against me and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. And that's the key right there when you look at these people that attack people that are trying to live righteously. They have not set God before them. See, if, if, if Saul had been living right and, and, and they're entering in and everybody's singing, dancing, and clapping and the, and the gals are like, he slayed 10,000, Saul only did 1,000. Saul should have been like, yeah, you're right, man. I, I, didn't, like, I, I didn't fight Goliath. He did. I'm just glad that Goliath is dead, that we reigned over the Philistines, that Israel is doing fantastic, and now we can go on and do bigger, better things. But no, he, he didn't put the ideas of God in his mind. He put his own ideas, his own selfishness, his own envy, his own greed, his own self-preservation, and so that it manifests in a way where now he wants to attack the one that's actually living the way that they want to live because they have not set God before him. Filled with hate and jealousy. And what does it mean to you? Folks, the reward for living righteously is that others who aren't will attack you. Man, this is encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> See, I'm, I'm not this guy, like, uh, uh, if you're looking for your best life now, like, I'm just not that guy, okay? Why? Because I think it's disingenuous to sell you this idea of Christianity where you're just like, hey man, you're going to go out there and they're going to love you and they're going to throw you parades. That's not what the Bible teaches. The, the, the reward that Jesus got for living right was crucifixion. And, and you can't live in this world where you're going to go out and you're going to live righteously and the rest of the world is going to sing your praises. If everybody loves you and likes you, you should be very concerned. I remember when I was in the, in the army and I was stationed in Bosnia and it's very sobering uh, when you get deployed and you get off of a plane and they hand you 210 rounds of live ammunition and they say, you might need this. And you're there for six months and you're like, you're behind a wire protected by machine guns and like there's, you know, planes flying over and there's bomb threats and like, like you, you live in a keyed up existence and the army teaches you to live this way of like attack is imminent. Like at any given moment, attack could be imminent. And so you must live and be prepared knowing that attack could happen at any given time. And so in that environment, I, I gotta be honest with you, it, it, wears on your, uh, it wears on your psyche and your soul living in that environment. But what it does is that that way when attack comes, you're ready for the attack. Yeah. If, they, if, if, they get, if you got off the plane, like, hey, man, I wouldn't worry about it too much. You know, we'll let you know if anything happens. We'll uh, come by and be like, hey, there's a fracas at the other end of the uh, airstrip. You guys want to bring some rocks and stones if you can find them? Like, no. John 16, 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that they offer God service. These are words of Jesus. They couldn't be more true than they are today. That there's people out there that feel like they're doing God's service by attacking Bible-believing Christians. Yeah. It's so funny. Like, why do we have to say those words? Why do we have to say Bible-believing Christians? They're a hardcore Christian. They're a serious Christian. They're a devout Christian. Like, either you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. Isn't every Christian a Bible-believing Christian? Because if you're not, you're something else, man. It's funny, like... Uh, interestingly enough, the most pushback I get for living for Christ is for people that claim to live for Him. 
The, the people that aren't Christians just expect me to be a zealot. They expect me to be weird and they expect me to not believe the way that they believe. It's the Christians that have been polluted by the world that come in and they're like, why do you have to take it so seriously? What Bible are you reading? Like, it look, it's, you're supposed to take it seriously, man. Well, that's not very loving what you believe. According to who? MSNBC? Like, come on. Where, where are you getting your marching orders, man? Jesus warned his disciples that living for him would not make everyone like you. Living for Jesus is costly. Living righteously is costly. This is one of the reasons why I preach the way that I preach. I've had people leave this church and say, I get so tired of the angry bald guy every week. I'm like, dude, get me outside of the pulpit. I'm really nice, but this is serious business. I'm not going to say that. I'm saying, come on, man. That's what they say. See, what you guys don't understand is I used to have a career in stand-up comedy, okay? And I could bring you in here every week and make you laugh. And be like, oh, it's so funny. And then you get out there and you get destroyed by the world. Quit following Christ. And then what good is that? If you want me to make you laugh, buy me a steak. I'll make you laugh. But when we get in here, man, this is serious business. This is about setting you up to go out there and live for Christ in a godless world. It's easy to be like the world, man. It's easy to live like the world and do what the world does. It requires no thinking or critical thought. All you have to do is just absorb whatever media is coming through your eyes and ears, man. Watch their shows, watch their news, read their publications, listen to their music, hang out with their people. They will tell you exactly what they want you to believe and how they exactly they want you to live. And it is completely the opposite of Christian living. It's completely the opposite of Christian living. Uh, um, America is in trouble because of how we have abdicated who we are over the last 30 years. We, we, we really, really are. You should count it worthy that you come under attack for being a Christian. Amen. Count it worthy. Matthew 10:22. Jesus said, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Do you, do you not notice the life of Paul? Do you not know what happened to him? The way that he lived, and he went to prison, and he was beaten, and people hated him for how he lived. Why? Because he didn't live how the world wanted him to live. Jesus said in uh, Luke 6.22, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Not just because you're a jerk, but because you're living righteously for Jesus Christ. Amen. And so what do we do? We expect attack, man. You've got to expect that people won't agree with you. Folks, we live in an age that agrees with uh, sexual immorality in a way that, it, that, that has never been seen. And, and it's, not, it's not like just some like, oh, that's kind of odd. Like, what the heck is going on kind of odd? Like, like all of the stuff, and I'm not even going to pollute your mind with describing all of the differences of sexuality that exist out there that are just like one man, one woman married together forever. Like, they, that's God's design. That's what he designed. And people say, well, that's not very loving. I'm not trying to be loving. I'm trying to live according to what Jesus lived, okay? Jesus didn't go around and walk around like, well, I probably shouldn't say this. It's not very loving. It's not what he said at all, man. Like, why, why are we having an, a, a conversation about the murder of children? Why? Like, why, like a, a baby is a botched abortion living on, uh, living on a table with a heartbeat. And they say, well, no, you can still kill it when it's laying on the table. And then, and then, and then we're like, well, you, you're being so political in church for defending a born child? Yeah. 
And now listen, man, I understand that there's been people that have had abortions and, and uh, if you've asked for forgiveness, God forgives you. You could have been a person that had an abortion, realized that it's wrong, and then speak out against it. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's, there's not a, I mean, God can forgive any sin, man. But why, why, why is it a political thing to talk about the killing of an unborn child? There's mental disorders that we're now celebrating as like, man, this is so good. Dude, just a short time ago, there was a book that said you are wrong in the head. And now we're just like, man, everybody's just so awesome. Like, where are we at, man? They love every religion except Christianity. Can you not notice that everything in this world is celebrated except people that believe the Bible and want to live righteously? That's why I'm not going to bring the world into my church and try to reach people with the ways of the world. If all I have is a place of sanctuary where I can live righteously for God around people that love God and, lo- and, and love His Word, then so be it, man. Interestingly enough, those churches that choose to, to bow the knee to the world don't seem to uh, get people saved. They just, you know, do their little smoke machine and away they go. Media, public education, literature, movies, music do not agree with the Christian way. They don't. They're trying to do everything that they can to destroy us. 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening to you. And again, this isn't suffering for your bad decisions. You can't go out and live uh, making bad decisions and be like, God is doing something in my life and I'm being attacked. No, dude, you're being dumb. That's what's going on. I'm, ta- I'm talking about living a righteous life for Christ. It's costly. It's costly. And even people who claim to be for God will come after you. Verse 11, I will pin David to the wall. And I've shared this with you guys many times. The, the, the most attacks that I get are from other people that claim to be Christians. They say, well, you know, I wouldn't read those scriptures. It's not going to help lead people to Christ. What, what, what am I supposed to use, man? The, 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 most, uh, the most attacks that I had as a Christian was when I attended a Christian university. People, like, and I've told you guys some of this. I mean, they would put boxes of excrement in front of my door. They would send me scabs in the mail. They would bully me and crank call me because I took it too serious. Like, really? Like, where are we at, man? Like, where's, where God, where's the army of God? Where's onward Christian soldiers? What happened to that, man? So what do we do? It's my intro. Did you like that? It was good. <laughs> so what do we do? Find a friend. Dude, you got to find a friend. You know, this scripture right here in uh, 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4, the, the, the homosexuals want to take this verse and to make it say that Jonathan and David had a homosexual relationship. Somehow it didn't mean that for 4,000 years. And then all of a sudden in the last 20 years, like, no, it was a homosexual relationship. This is not a homosexual relationship. Okay? David and Jonathan were not in a homosexual relationship. And then uh, lo and behold, David goes and kills 100 people for 100 foreskins to get the hand of a woman. In the next scripture, how does that make sense? Then he does the thing with Bathsheba and everything else because he's a homosexual. No. Sorry, I'm riffing. Let's get back to the scripture. All right. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. See, what's happening in this story is that 
God has uh, uh, spiritually brought together Jonathan and David because they have the same heart. Uh, if you go back to 1 Samuel 14, Jonathan is the son of King Saul, and they had a run-in where Saul was mad at Jonathan for the way that he was living. And so now Jonathan's found a friend in David, and David has found a friend in, in uh, Jonathan, where they both had been attacked by Saul because they loved God and they loved Israel. And, and, and they both were willing to do whatever they needed to do for the nation of Israel and whatever they needed to do for God. Saul's in a bad place. He comes to get him. And now because they both have the same heart, God knits their hearts together and says, this is somebody that I can use. I can use Jonathan and David together to accomplish great things for my kingdom. Jonathan had fought the, fought the Philistines and won. He was battle tested. He was a soldier. And so what had brought them together in this moment was the love for God and their love for Israel. It says in verse 3, then Jonathan and David David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Go online and there's a sermon that I preached a while ago about covenant relationships and you can really understand what it means to have a covenant relationship. But it's a deep abiding love. Like why why can't two men have a deep abiding covenantal love that isn't sexual in nature? They can. It's what God described. It's It's how great things happen in men's lives. Proverbs 18.24, a man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I don't mean any disrespect, it's just the truth. My brother is not a Christian. I have one brother. He's not a Christian. He's an agnostic. He loves me. He loves what I do. When people ask him what his religion is, he says, my brother is a pastor. That's what he says. But, but he doesn't, uh, he's not a Christian. He, he, doesn't, he just doesn't live that way. He's proud of me and he loves me. Um, but he doesn't believe what, what I believe. And so what, what that means is, is that the men of this church are closer to me than my brother. Yeah. Right? There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You, you, men, you may not have been my, my birth brother, but I have more in common with you than the brother of, of my family because you and I have the same heart. Right? You love God. You love his church. You love righteousness. You want, to, you want to love your spouse. You want to live a righteous life. And so the love relationship that I have with the men of this church is because we have the same heart. I can't have that type of relationship with my worldly brother because he doesn't share the same beliefs that I, that I do. It's exclusionary in nature. And so I actually will bear my soul more to a man who's in Christ whom I just met more than my own brother because he doesn't understand what I'm believing and what I'm thinking about. And this is the relationship that Jonathan and David have found, a friendship that is deeper than family. A friendship that is deeper than family, a very, very close relationship. See, what David intrinsically knew, which uh, you need to understand as well, is that David knew, like, if I'm going to get through this thing, I'm going to need a friend. I got to phone a friend on this one. I got got to go find somebody that I can live with that's going to have my back, that when things go down, we can go toe-to-toe with the world. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Folks, to live righteously before God, to escape the attacks of the enemy, you need a friend. Think about this, man. Jonathan's loyalty is to his friend and not to his own father. He said, all right, man, I'm going to actually defend this guy more than I'm going to defend my own father. What does it mean to you? Solomon said in Proverbs 13, 20, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Hang out with a bunch of foolish people and you are going to be destroyed. 
You, you cannot live right and you cannot live righteously in this world if, you, if all of your friendships are friendships with people of this world. It just doesn't work that way. And if you don't have great friends, you're going to be destroyed. You need friends. And some people say, well, you know, that's, that's very tactical of you, pastor, to tell us not to be friends with anybody else except for people inside the church. I'm not saying that at all. There's great Christian people from great churches all around the world that you can be friends with. Amen. There's millions of Christian people that you can be friends with. I'm friends with many Christians that don't attend this church. I'll hang out with them and I'll spend time with them and I'll fellowship with them. But I'm not, friend, I'm not friends with people that aren't Christians. I'm just not. I'll be friendly, but I'm not going to be friends. There's a big difference, man. There's a big difference between friendly and being friends. People say, well, you know, Jesus was a friend of sinners. Okay, he didn't go out and do what the sinners did. Like he, he, remember, he went out there and preached truth to them so much that they ended up crucifying him. He didn't go down and, you know, hang down at the pub, throw him back a few, being like, woo, I'm a friend of sinners. Like, no, that's not the life that Jesus lived at all. And people say, well, I'm going to live righteously for God. I want to live a life that's pleasing to God. And then they spend the bulk of their time with people that don't love God, don't love His commandments, don't love His word, and don't want to live righteously. Their lives fall apart and they turn around like, man, what went wrong in my life? Who are you spending time with? Who are the friends that you're bearing your soul to? Now, some of you don't know how to make friends because you've always seen friends as a way to get something from. So, well, I, I don't really need friends until I need something. Right? Oh, that, this guy's got a boat. Like, let's be friends. He's got a great boat. He's a jet ski. Be awesome. Right? I need to borrow some tools. I need a friend. That's not what friendship's about, man. Be friends with people that have nothing to offer you except friendship in Christ. Those guys are the friends that you stick closer than a brother. Somebody said, well, you know, I don't need anybody else in my life. I don't know how you do it, man. I don't have enough friends. I'm still looking for more. I need more. I, I need as many friends as I can have to get through this world, man. Friendship isn't just, uh, just about exploiting people. It's not just about getting. It's about companionship. It's about being together. It's about improving. And you've got to choose those friends wisely. You've got to choose them wisely. And in the Christian church, man, men and women alike, it's, it's an opportunity to be able to, to, to live your life in such a way that you can build friendships that are deep, abiding relationships that are focused on Jesus Christ. Amen. It's very easy to do that within a Christian church. And some people would say, well, you know, I went to try to find friends, and I walked in one time and kept my mouth shut and left, came early, left, or came late, left early, and I couldn't find any friends. It's like... Well, I don't know, man. We got Bible study every Tuesday night with the Fords, and we got Wednesday night. We got, you know, fellowship this and prayer service that, and, you know, we got man up and victory moms and all this other stuff. Just keep showing up. You'll find some friends. Most friendships don't happen in a day. They're just built over the course of time. Right, the friends that I built over this, uh, over the time in this church, it just took time. You know, it's like I was using Kevin, Pastor Kevin, as an example, right? Like someone's like, dude, you're going to have a great, deep, love-abiding relationship with a small Kenyan man. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, comparatively so, right? Compared to the Nephilim, right? But you know, like w w me and Kevin, w the first good conversation we ever had was at the men's retreat nine years ago. And I'll be honest with you, man, like, what do I have in common with the guy that grew up in Kenya? I'll tell you what, everything. Amen. 
Amen. I mean, we bear our souls to one another. We have like the, the issues of our heart are exactly the same. We both want to love God. We both want to love our families. We both have scars from our past. We identify with each other. It's interesting how universally applicable the word of God is upon the, the hearts of men. It has no cultural or social boundaries. I just became friends with that guy because I needed a friend. And now the relationship that we have with each other is a deep, loving, abiding relationship one with another. And it's only possible through Jesus Christ. And I'm going to make it in this world because I got... And, and I'm, I'm just using Kevin as an example. But like I have that relationship with almost all the men in this church, man. And I'm going to be ready for, the, for what the world can throw at me because I've got great, great friendships. 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. That You can't hang out by the fire and not come out smelling like smoke. Proverbs 22, 24, uh, and 25, make no friendship with an angry man. Make no friendship with an angry man. I distance myself from angry people. Why? Because I'm not angry. Like, I don't want to hang out with an angry person. And with a furious man, do not go, lest you learn his ways in a snare for your soul. I separate myself from people that aren't living correctly. I do it strategically. People say, well, that's not very loving. Dude, I can love them from afar, but we're not going to be pals. I'm not going to live that way together. I'm not going to do it. The Bible said, it's funny, when you use the Bible to make your point, it makes it very clear. Proverbs 12, 26, the righteous, if that's you, should choose his friends carefully. For the way of the wicked leads them astray. Who are your friends that you're going into battle with? Who are they? You know, I, I use the, uh, the example often with uh, Dan, who's our MC today, and his twin brother, Jay. We've been friends since we were 10 years old, man. And uh, we all, well, Jay actually got saved later. Me and Dan used to pray for Jay. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Jay was a little bit farther around. But me and Dan got saved the same summer. And, and, and like our whole child, like we wanted to live righteously, man. We wanted to live for God. I mean, me and, me and Dan, when we were in high school, we spent every Friday and Saturday night with each other at either his house or my house, drinking Coca-Colas and playing Nintendo, right? Jay was out not doing that, but... <laughs> We, uh, we wanted to live righteously for God, and it protected us from a, a, a lot of things, right? It protected us. Um, did I live a perfect life through high school and college? No, I didn't at all. But in times of my life when I needed to be pulled back, he would pull me back, and he would say, like, man, you're living wrong. You're being a jerk face. And, 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 uh, and sometimes, I'd, not as many times I had to pull him back. But he had to pull me back many times. And, and I don't mean this to say uh, anything great about myself because I'm navel lint. But it, it, Dan knows my dirt, man. He knows the ways I've lived wrong and the things that I've done wrong. And somehow he says, man, that's a guy I want my, to be my pastor. Baffles me. Right? Some of y'all only know me for a little while and it's easier to like, convince you that I was better than I am. But I can't convince that guy. He knows all the dirt, man. He knows what I did and how I was. But that's what friendship is. Friendship says, man, we're going to walk through it together. So, third point of, well, I don't know what point, we just got a bunch of points. Let's continue on. 
continue in righteousness, man. If you want to live right, expect attack, find a friend, and continue in righteousness. Verse 14, David behaved wisely in all of his ways, and the Lord was with him. David behaved wisely in all of his ways, and the Lord was with him. See, David was so committed to his love for God and Israel that he wasn't going to even let the attacks of the king to keep him from being who he was. Do you notice that part of the story? David wanted to live righteously. The king of Israel was trying to destroy him and he didn't use it as an excuse to act the way that King Saul was acting. He said, I'm going to still honor God in the way that I live and I'm going to live righteously because I'm not going to let what somebody else is doing change the way that I'm going to live. See, what David knew is that God blesses the righteous. He blesses the righteous. And, I, and I've, I've said this to you guys before. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. I think it's an aberrant theology and it's a life in the pit of hell, man. You've got to read your Bibles and see what it is. I deserve nothing. Okay, I was a vile sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus picked me up, washed me, and set me free from the law of sin and death. Me and, me and, me and Jesus were equal uh, at the moment that I came to him in the sense that I didn't need anything else from him. Now, that being said, I've been serving God for almost 30 years. And, and I never served him hoping to get anything more than salvation, ever. But it's interesting, when you live for God, righteously, every once in a while, you get an extra scoop of ice cream. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Dude, sometimes it's three scoops. Hallelujah. Last night it was four. Amen. I don't live for Jesus because I, I need his blessings. I live for Jesus because I need his grace and mercy. But when you live righteously, every once in a while, things just happen to go well for you, man. Things just happen to be blessed. You know, David said in Psalm 32, 10, he said, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Mercy surrounds those who trust in the Lord. The, the, the greatest part of my faith isn't what God uh, does for me. It's what he's done for me, which is he had bestowed mercy upon me when I didn't deserve it. He forgave me when I didn't deserve it. And, and so because of that, I just, I want to live with him. I want to live for him. David didn't let the actions of someone else redirect what he was going to do with his life. He was going to continue to move forward to be king. And the byproduct of that was Saul, uh, verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. The unrighteous are always afraid of the righteous. It just happens that way. Saul saw how David lived and he scared him. Now what does it mean to you? How easily are you derailed in your life with Christ? How, how often do you use what somebody else is doing as an excuse to change what you know that you're supposed to be doing? Just because others around you aren't living right, it doesn't mean that you get to live wrong. That's not how, did you, did you not grow up with a mother that said, if everybody else jumped off a bridge? Right, my, my mom would never allow me to live a certain way just because other people live in a certain way, right? In the neighborhood that I grew up in, I remember we had to walk, we walked to school back then. I, uh, I walked like four blocks in kindergarten. I'm five years old, just moving around the neighborhood, finding my way. Somehow I lived. And so there's this neighborhood kid that we used to walk to school with, and his name was Stanley. I don't know why, but my dad called him Stinky Stanley. And uh, he did kind of stink. And so, uh, no, God forgive me for using Stinky Stanley, but we're going to make it into something good. And so as I was growing up, my mom, my mom wanted us to, to, to live right, and she didn't, uh, you know, she didn't allow us to be dirtbags. But... This might surprise you, but I was a challenging child to raise at times because of my exuberance. I know, it's surprising. 
And uh, so oftentimes I would find myself in situations where I was not living correctly. And my, I remember my mother would say things to me, and like we would be like mid-conversation, and then she would look at me and she would like, Stinky Stanley, what have you done with Matthew? And I'd look at her and she goes, you have, you have overtaken Matthew. And so then she would take me to the front door and she'd open up the front door and she'd put me on the front porch. She goes, Stinky Stanley, you go away. I want Matthew back. And then she'd shut the door and lock it. And I'd sit there on the front porch. And I'm like, man, what is going on here? And the way our house was situated, I'd walk around to the back side of the house and I'd walk in. And as soon as I would walk in, my mom would go, Matthew! Oh, there was this evil little boy that was here. And he, he looked like you and he was trying to trick me into believing that he was you. I'm so glad you're back. That's a good story. You know, my, 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 own, my own mother wouldn't accept unrighteous living. You know, God, God doesn't want you to live to be anything else than what he has called you to live, which is as a righteous saint of God, Amen. living righteously before him. He don't want you to be no stinky... If anybody, Stan, I love you. I just realized. You are not stinky. You are a righteous... Be this righteous Stanley. Amen. Be this righteous Stanley. You know, you, you, preaching 101, you don't ever want to use a bad example of somebody's name. So Stanley is a, be this righteous Stanley, amen? amen? Don't be the bad Stanley from my childhood. Be the righteous Stanley. You live like that, you're going to be fine. Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 1 Thessalonians 4.7, for God did not call us to uncleanness but in holiness. 1 Peter 2.11, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. 1 John 3.3, 3, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? Every time uh, we come together, I'm going to ask you whether or not you want to live for Jesus. Why? Because I think it's what God desires, man. God wants you to be forgiven of your sins. He wants you to be set free from the law of sin and death. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never said like, man, I want to live for you, Jesus. I want to be forgiven of my sins. And it's not some superstitious like, oh, I went to this church and I got prayed for once and now I'm good. No, I'm talking about a life directional change. You've been living away from God. You've been running away from God. And now you're going to turn your life around and you're going to run towards him. He's going to forgive you of your sins. He's going to set you free. And your life is never going to be the same. If you've never made that decision before, and you, you, you'd say, you know what? I, I don't know if I'm ready, but I'm ready for God to do what he needs to do. He'll give you a new heart. He'll change you. And you'll never be the same. If you want to make that decision for the first time today, I want you to raise your hand right now and say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to do that for the very first time today? Hand held high. Okay. First service, salvation. Amen? Someone that gave her life to the Lord. I always like to share that with you guys, man. We still, we still serve a God that saves. We still serve a God that sets free. The gospel is still true today. Jesus is in the saving business. Now for today, maybe there's just, I don't know, it's whatever touched your heart, man. Maybe you haven't been expecting attack. Maybe you need a friend. 
Maybe you just need to live more righteously. Whatever it is, man, just talk to God about it for a second. He's, he's smart enough. He can hear your heart. He knows what you're thinking without you even speaking it. He knows all. He sees all. Father, we love you this morning, God. We give you our hearts. We give you our souls. We give you our minds. God, we pray today that you would become so real to us, God, that we could live righteously for you. Father, we need your grace and mercy. God, we want to live righteously for you, but we need your help. Holy Spirit, fill us with your presence in such a way that we can live holy and completely for you. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for watching. Make sure to check in on Facebook and tweet the sermon using hashtag FVCLive. Please silence your cell phones. Sermon notes and recordings are available at faithandvictory.com slash sermons. Now, this is God's story, so let's listen.